Welcome to Connect Church Online. Um, I'm glad you guys are with us, um, whether that's, you know, in your homes together or separate. Um, either way, we're really excited to be together in this time of craziness and everything going on. Um, if you are a guest, we are especially excited that you're here um, and that you're a part of what's going on here. We say that this is a church, at Connect Church, where the problems of the world connect with the power of God. And truly, we see that going on, I would say, now more than ever. You know, I see amazing things going on while we're forced to be separate. Um, we got to really rejoice a couple weeks ago when Zach got baptized, and we got to add him to the family, and we were so excited about that. And then, boom, here comes Gabby, and Gabby's added to the family, and, and we get to see her life start to make that big turn and, and all the cool things that we get to dream about in her life and all the ways that she's going to bless us. And I want to thank you both uh, for joining the family and congratulate you on what's to come. Um, and, and we're so excited about that. And it was so cool because after Gabby got baptized, Ashley was praying and she said, even a worldwide pandemic is not slowing down what God is doing in this moment. I just got goosebumps. I got so excited because God, truly, God is not slowing down, no matter what's going on in the world. His, his will is still going on. His power is still moving, um, and, and we get to be a part of that, and that's so exciting. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to what else is to come as these restrictions start to get loosened up and us being flexible with everything. But um, regardless, you know, I encourage you guys, keep looking out for each other. Um, keep giving so that we can be a support to the people around us that are really are really hurting um, and need that support desperately. Um, and then also, you know, keep looking out for each other and, and reaching out to those that maybe are, are getting forgotten about or don't get as many phone calls as others. Um, so, you know, on that theme, uh, we've been talking the last few weeks about surviving the storms of life. We've talked about surviving all kinds of different storms, the storms that you have absolutely no control over, that just happened to you, and there's just nothing you could have done to avoid it, but you've got to figure out how you're going to react to it. Uh, we also talked about storms where you were very much the cause of the storm, and, and a lot of it was due to choices that I made or you made, um, and we've got to deal with that and figure out where to go from there. Um, but I wanted to talk today about the results of the storm. You know, we're, we're going through a period of disruption. We're going through a period where schedules are just wrecked, where incomes are wrecked, where so many things that we normally rely on are just out of place, out of joint. And, you know, we talk about, you know, extroverts struggling with certain things and introverts struggling with certain things. You, some people are portraying this like it's an introvert's heaven. Oh, no, I'm locked in, a, in my home and I have to, you know, isolate. Uh, but really, regardless of your personality, we need our people. And when our people are taken away and our schedules are wrecked, everyone suffers from that. Everyone deals with that and, and has struggles with that. This isn't paradise for anybody. And because of that, one of the main results that we see when you're going through a storm is this feeling of just being empty, of just feeling like I don't have enough left in the tank to get through this day. I'm just going to drag through and hope I survive long enough to drag through tomorrow. And, it, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning is, is about when the storm just leaves you empty, when the storm empties your emotional tank. And we're going to talk about how to recognize when that's happening and what that looks like. And then more importantly, we're going to talk about what God does with that and how God helps us to recover from those times where our tank is just completely empty and we're just running on fumes. And we're going to look at it through a story of a guy named Elijah. And if you know anything about Elijah, you might be surprised to hear about a story of him struggling 
because God did amazing things through Elijah. God did um, amazing, one amazing victories. He, he spoke powerful messages through Elijah, but Elijah had his struggles, and that's totally normal. You know, with every mountaintop, there's a valley. And no matter how powerful you've been or no matter what you've been through and, and what victories you've won, everyone has downtimes. Everyone has times of exhaustion and, and their tank being emptied. And so um, what we see in James 5, 17, it says, Elijah was just as human as you and me. And so we read these stories of Elijah doing all these powerful things, and then we see him going through these terrible downs, and, and he's just like us. And so as I go through these things, I want to challenge you guys. There's going to be a temptation here because it's uncomfortable. Self-reflection can be very uncomfortable. And so there's a temptation. We hear about certain things that, that people struggle with, and we're like, oh, man, I know that guy. You know, that guy goes through that all the time. You know, and I want to challenge us that when we go through some of these things, as we talk through them, let's not talk about that guy or that girl. Let's, let's reflect on how we exhibit some of these things and how we go through some of these things, because that's going to be really critical um, to that self-reflection. It's, it's difficult, and it's not always a lot of fun, but it's, it's vital for us to get through the times like we're going through right now. So Elijah was coming off a literal mountaintop experience. You know, Elijah was a prophet in the nation of Israel. So the point of the nation of Israel was God said, it's not that I like you better than everyone else, but I'm going to pick a nation and I'm going to lead you. And then the point is that the whole world will see how good it is to follow me. And so that's it's not that you're the favorite. It's not that you're better than everyone else. It's that you kind of get to be the older brother who goes through first and shows everyone else what to do. And there were times where that worked great and it was beautiful and it was really cool. And unfortunately, there were a lot more times and anyone as a human knows that this is how it tends to go um, is that it just fell on its face. And Elijah has the fortune of being the prophet during one of the times where Israel is just off the rails. And the king, Ahab, and his wife, Jezebel, are leading the charge. They are completely morally bankrupt. They've fallen into idol worship, and so they're worshiping these stone and wood idols instead of the true God. And they're just acting fools. And I don't mean fools as in they're not being nice to each other or they're, you know, saying bad words. I'm talking about these idol, this idol worship required child sacrifice. I mean, they are off the rails. And God sends Elijah to come and say, this is wild and we need to get back to it. And so Elijah initiates the first epic rap battle of history. Elijah initiates this showdown and he says, all right, you take your God and I'll take my God and we'll both set this, these pillars of wood and we'll see who's the real God. You pray to yours and then I'll pray to mine and let's see which one will send down fire and consume this wood. And so the prophets of Baal, this false god that they've been worshiping, come and they're they are screaming and making a big show and cutting themselves and trying whatever they can to get their God's attention and call down this fire. And nothing's going on. And Elijah has some fun with it. He's like, man, maybe he's sleeping. And then they go on and they're slapping themselves and, and screaming. He says, you know, maybe he's on the toilet. He says that that's in the Hebrew. Like he, maybe he's, you know, in the bathroom and can't can't come to you right now. And so they just give up. I mean, uh, the, the prophets of Baal realize it's a lost cause. And Elijah sits down and he says a simple prayer and power comes in a mighty way. It says in 1 Kings 18, 36 through 39. At the time for the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah went near the altar 
And he prayed, Lord, you are the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel. Prove that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant. Show these people that you commanded me to do all these things. Lord, answer my prayer so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you will change their minds. And then fire from the Lord came down. It burned up the sacrifice before this, Elijah had told them to pour 12 gallons or 12 huge things of water onto the wood. So the water was rolling, rolling over it and the wood was completely sog, sodden down with the water. The fire consumes the wet wood and then it consumes the stone that the wood is sitting on. And then it goes down and, and laps up all the water that's down there pooled around it as well. Just with a simple prayer. And when that happened... It says when it burned the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the ground around the altar, when all the people saw this, they fell down to the ground crying, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. They saw who the real God was. But here's the problem. When you realize who the real God is, you realize who the real God is not. And they have sacrificed children to this false God that the prophets of Baal told them was real. And they are furious and they turn on the prophets of Baal and the people kill them for leading them down this road that was so dark and so deceptive. And when that happens, Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab, is furious because these are her guys. She's been leading the charge in this Baal worship. And so Elijah is running up to this problem because he's won this great victory. He's won this amazing victory and showed this is exactly what Elijah was called to was to remind the people of who God was. And he did exactly that through the power of God. And immediately after that, after that mountaintop experience, where this literally takes place on a mountain, he's in the valley. Because when King Ahab told his wife Jezebel, you're going to see this, um, you've got this in your, in your uh, notes, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 5, and then going down to verse 10. It says, King Ahab told his wife Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd ordered the death of all her false prophets of Baal. And so the queen Jezebel sent this threat to Elijah. May my God strike me dead if I don't kill you this day. May my God strike me dead, I'm sorry, if I don't kill you by this time tomorrow. And Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. He left his servant in the town of Beersheba and he walked for a full day into the desert. And finally, he came to a broom tree and he collapsed under its shade. And there he prayed that he might die. Remember, we are just off the heels of his greatest victory of his career. And he's praying that he might die. He said, God, I've had enough. Take my life. Just let me die, for I am no better than my ancestors. Exhausted, he fell asleep under that broom tree. And later, Elijah told God, I've always worked hard for you, Lord. But your people have abandoned your covenant. They've destroyed your places of worship and they've murdered your true prophets. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me. I'm it. I've worked hard for you. No one's listening. I'm the only one left and now I'm going down. And he's afraid. And when you look at that passage right there, you'll see some of, them, some of these words are underlined. And I think when we look through it, we see ten signs of, of that emotional emptiness that's starting to fall on Elijah as he goes through this trial, through this storm in his life. And as we look through those, I think the reason that it's so important to identify these things is because we all have strengths and weaknesses. And we all have times when we look really good and we're operating out of our strengths. And then we have times where we look really bad 
and we're operating out of our weaknesses. You know, the, there's that Snickers commercial, you're not you when you're hungry, you know, and <laughs> they get these ridiculous actors, you know, to come in and they turn all of a sudden you're Betty White complaining in the backseat, you know, and they're uh, Steve Buscemi and they're, they're handing them a Snickers bar, you know, so they can come back to normal. And, and I ha- I'll admit, I have times where my wife's just like, just eat a sandwich. <laughs> Don't talk to me again until you've eaten something. Um, and we all, when we're operating out of our weaknesses, it looks different for everyone, but it looks every, ugly on everyone. Is that right? Right. We all have our ugly. We all have times where we look ugly. And the problem is it's really hard to recognize in ourselves. I don't see it, but my wife sees it and everyone around me sees it. And that's why community is so important that we have people around us who know us well enough to know what our ugly looks like and who love us enough to call us out on it and get us what we need to get us out of that place. It's so important. And that's why I say, as we go through these 10 signs that your emotional tank is empty in the storm, that we not look to other people and not look to other people, for examples, but we realize and internalize and say, this is me a lot of the time when I'm running on empty. And let's, let's take this in, and that way we can re- recognize it in ourselves. So the first thing that we see in Elijah right off the bat is immediately Elijah's afraid. And when our emotional tank is empty, we get afraid because we don't have any resources left. Right? I'm I'm done. Like I'm if anything else comes at me, I'm I'm that's it. I'm finished. That's how we feel. And so instantly fear enters the equation. The first thing is that fear creeps into my life. Elijah was afraid. He was instantly afraid regardless of the power that God had just displayed. He was afraid of this woman who's making really an idle threat. I mean, you don't warn the person you want to die. Hey, just so you know, I'm sending someone, you know, I'm going to have you killed. No, you just send someone to kill him. So there's really not that much to be afraid of. Um, Honestly, Jezebel was probably the one who was more afraid. But in the moment, it was so real for Elijah that fear is real for all of us. And so fear creeps into my life when I'm when my emotional tank is empty. The second thing that we see is I find myself running away from things. It says Elijah ran for his life. And consistently, I know in my life, when when I'm on empty, I run away from things. I run away from responsibilities because they feel too heavy. I run away from good opportunities sometimes because I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to do it. And there are times where I've run away from job opportunities, um, you know, from things that people have offered me that I just, I ran away from it because I just felt drained and I didn't feel like I would do any good with it anyway. So why bother? We run away from things when our emotional tank is empty. The third thing we see from Elijah and for us, honestly, is I start backing out of relationships. This is so consistent when we feel empty. And this is really ironic because it's the time you need relationships most. But how many of us in the times where we felt empty have started to back away from relationships? And sometimes we, that even fuels and turns into the cycle of more where I back out of the relationship and then I feel distant from you and now I kind of blame you for being distant from me and, then I, and I say I because I've done this. I've played this game so many times where I've just reinforced this, this isolation on myself um, and we step back, we, we start backing out of relationships and you see Elijah with a quickness left his servant in the town of Beersheba. This is a guy who'd been with him through some stuff right, who risked his life, and, and Elijah just, bam, he's gone. You know, this guy who's been by his side. We, we do that. We start leaving relationships and backing out. The fourth thing we see is, is I make foolish decisions impulsively. 
I make foolish decisions impulsively. Look at what Elijah does here. Elijah, it says Elijah walked for a full day into the desert with no supplies. Right? He's just, that's not something you think through. That's not like plan A, B, C, or D. That's just, I'm not even thinking, I'm just going. Right? He has gone out a day's walk into the desert and, and he's got nothing. And now he's, he's got no plan. And that's what we do, right? When, we're, when our emotional take is empty, we just start making survival moves. We just start doing stuff that's any other time we would call dumb. But right now we do it because it just seems the only thing to do. It's the only thing I can do right now. What more do you want from me? And we start making impulsive decisions. We, you know, we make the decision to, to skip work you know, for uh, you know, several days in a row you know, because... I have to, you know, it's just what needs to happen right now. We make the decision to say something really hurtful to someone because I'm just, I need you away from me. And I say something really hurtful that I don't mean. And it's impulsive and it's not in our best interest, but we do it. We make foolish decisions impulsively. Um, and, and that's, again, I don't say these things to beat us up. We just need to recognize these things. You're going to do them eventually everyone's going to do these none of us are exempt from this list elijah was a powerful prophet of god who was just this incredible man and he is just as susceptible to all of this as we are all of us do these things but we've got to recognize them we've got to see them when they're going on so that we'll accept the help when it comes the fifth thing that we see when our emotional tank is empty is i push myself past my physical limits when I feel like I've got nothing left and I've just got to go in survival mode emotionally, then I, I start skipping sleep, I start skipping rest, I start, you know, I stop eating as much, um, you know, or, or maybe I eat too much and I push past that physical limit, right? But either way, we start pushing ourselves past physical limits. And it says Elijah, he goes a day out into the desert, realizes he has no plans, and just falls down. <laughs> He's like, well... <laughs> You know, he's, he has pushed himself beyond the point of endurance, um, and, and he's just got nothing left. The sixth thing that we see um, is that my work seems pointless. And Elijah says, I have worked so hard, and nothing seems to change. I have given everything I have to this, and, and no one's listening. And what's wild is, again, we are on the heels of a revival what just happened is a revival. Like the people of God are waking up and seeing the falseness that they've been fed. And right after that, he says, nothing I do matters. I've said those words. I've, I've been there in times where from an outside perspective, it doesn't make any sense. But my emotional tank is empty and now it looks very real. And now everything I've put into whatever I'm doing seems pointless. It seems like nothing's coming of it. And the problem is that we try to control too much. And this is a natural result of feeling powerless. When we feel powerless, we try to accumulate as much power and control as we can possibly get. And then you start feeling responsible for stuff that's got nothing to do with you, that you have no control over. And then you feel guilty or, or upset when some of those things don't go your way. And again, you know, it, everything starts looking really pointless. My work seems pointless when, we go, when we're emotionally empty. The seventh thing we go through is, I complain that I want to quit and give up. I complain that I want to quit and give up. Um, it's a natural reaction to feeling like you're at the end of your rope. It's just, I'm at the end of my rope, drop the rope. Right? Simple solution. 
And what's amazing is how detrimental that is to us. Um, I'll never forget when I was first getting started into getting to know everyone in, in Lynn's ministry in Florida. Um, we were talking about, I had a friend that was going through some burnout. She was going through a hard time emotionally, and she said, I've just got to take a step back. I need to take a step back. Maybe I'll start coming once a week instead of three times a week and, and just take some time for myself. And I said, man, that seems like really good, a really good idea. And so I talked to Lynn. I'm like, yeah, I gave this great advice. You know, <laughs> this friend of mine said she was going to stop coming as much. And, but eventually she'll start coming back. And Lynn's like, man, that's a disaster. Because when you take a step back from the source of life, you're not gaining anything from that. That's not going to lead to better things. And I was like, oh, no. So we, we had the talk, and, and consistently, after that point, I saw so many friends say they were going to take a step back. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of high school relationships, when you're going on a break, right? When you're going to take how many, every high school relationship, you know, everyone had friends that were going on a break, and you knew that was chaos for your friend group for the next six months, right? Because they're on a break, and no one knows what that means, and someone's going to start dating someone else, and then they're going to be hurt, and it's, it's just going to be a mess, and it's a disaster for everyone, because taking a break from something doesn't lead you closer to it. We complain that we want to quit and give up, but what we're giving up in that moment is our relationship with God and the people that give us life, and we can't quit that and expect good things to come of it, but we do that when we're emotionally empty and we don't think about it. Number eight, we feel, I feel isolated and attacked when I am emotionally empty. I feel isolated and attacked. And Elijah says, I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. Right? I'm the only one. And God lets him say it. He just lets him have it. Okay, you tell me how you feel. I am the only one. There's no one else left. No one else loves you. I'm it. And now they want to kill me. And when I'm dead, then you may as well wipe out the whole world again because I'm the only one left. And he's exaggerating. And I know he's exaggerating because God responds instantly with, you know, actually, I've got 7,000 people left in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal ever and are faithful to me. 7,000 people. You are not the only one left. But in the moment when I'm empty, I feel like I'm the only one who understands the situation. I'm the only one who gets it. I'm the only one who understands how bad things are for me. No one else gets that and, and respects how bad things are for me. I'm the only one, and I'm under attack. And even though God had just used, again, had just, just used Elijah to win an incredible victory, he felt alone at a time where he probably had the most people around him ever, the most people in support of him. But it doesn't matter. When we're empty, we start thinking these things. Number nine, I compare myself to others, and I feel bad about myself. I start comparing to others, and then I feel bad about myself. The Bible always, always speaks against comparing ourselves to others. God is never in favor of us using others as our measuring stick. And it is our favorite way to measure ourselves. And when we do it, it always leads to us feeling bad about ourselves in one way or another. You know, we have this thing that we do with our, some of our brothers and sisters called the self-contempt jar, where every time you say something really bad about yourself, you've got to put a dollar in the jar. Um, and then you can feel bad about your finances. I don't know if that's successful, but, <laughs> but, but the idea is that it's, it's self-contempt. Is, it's not humble. It's not valuable. It's just destructive. And when we start comparing ourselves to others, 
we start beating ourselves up, we start trying to motiv- motivate ourselves with criticism, you know, man, you're so dumb, just do better. Like, you failed that again, like, just do it this time. You'll get it this time. We can't mess this up again. And we start using negative motivation because everyone else has it figured out and we're a mess and what are we going to do? And it's just not healthy. It never gets you anywhere. It never gets me anywhere. I know that. I am the king of the self-contempt jar. Um, self-contempt jar. <laughs> so, um, but, it, you know, Elijah starts saying stuff that he's, that's not true. And we do that. We, we say things like, I feel like God isn't with me. And the fact of the matter is, how you feel has nothing to do with reality. Your feelings do not dictate what's actually going on around you. There are so many times where I feel like someone's mad at me, and they have no idea, right? They have no clue how seethingly angry they are at me. <laughs> but I know, and I'm just waiting for them to figure it out. You know, my feelings do not dictate my reality. They can dictate my reaction to, to what's going on around me, and sometimes that leads those things to be true because I can be really irritating when I'm acting like you're mad at me and you're not, right? That's what's more infuriating than someone insisting that you've got something against them when you don't? And now I am mad at you, right? So um, we've, we can't let comparison start up and, and start attacking ourselves where we start feeling bad about ourselves. And then finally, what we see from Elijah is he sa- we start saying, I think, I think death might be a relief. I think if this was all over, that might be better. When we get to the absolute end of our rope, and we're not even running on fumes anymore, the fumes are gone, we start to think, this, this might not be worth it. It might be better to be nothing than to be this. And I want to let you know that these are insane times. And they are pushing all of us to our limits. And even when there's not a pandemic going on, there are plenty of things to push us to our limit. But ending your life is a, tempor- is a permanent response to a temporary mood. And I don't say that to make light of those feelings because there are countless people listening to this video in a part of this church that have had those exact same thoughts. And I get it, and I understand where it comes from, but it's not the fix. It's not the fix for the people that love you, and it's not the fix for you. And I just want to encourage you that if you were to come and talk to us about feelings that you've gone through or are going through, that maybe death would be a relief. That not only would you not be alone, but there would be a chorus of people who have already shared with us openly about the thoughts that they've had and maybe even the actions that they've taken. And you will not be alone in that. And so I promise you this is a safe place for that problem to connect with the power of God and get the healing and the love and the connection that you need to work through some of that. So I just encourage you guys, death is not a relief. There's relief on the way, and if you'll stay with it, then the relief is coming. And that's what Elijah finds out. That at the moment where he feels like, I've got nothing left, God hears that, and he lets him say it, and then he brings the relief. He brings the solution. And the solution, the light is always coming in the darkness. Just like there's always a valley after the mountaintop, there's always light after the darkness because God is faithful and true and awesome and He loves us desperately and He will always be there to pick us up. And we see, can you see how similar Elijah is to us? That all these things he said, I've said, and I bet you've said, He's just like us. And the, what's cool about that is just like He struggles the way that we do, when He got relief, we can get relief in that same way when God delivers it, with the same way that, that Elijah got it. So let's look at some things that go on 
that God does to refill my emotional tank? How does God refill my emotional tank when the storm just cleans me out? And the first thing that he does is that God makes me rest my body. He doesn't let me rest my body. He makes me rest my body. And that's Bible. Psalm 23, verses 2 through 3, one of the most commonly quoted scriptures in all of the Bible says, He makes me lie down in green pastures, and He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. And it is so sweet when you see what God does with Elijah, because I need to be made to rest. I am not smart enough when I'm at my weakest to know to rest. I just keep on pushing because it feels like that's what I've got to do. And I'm not smart enough to know when to stop and to rest. And so God comes in, sometimes through his people, sometimes as I'm praying, broken down on my knees, right? But either way, God comes and he provides and makes me rest. And when Elijah got to a day out in the desert and just falls down, collapsing, because he's got nothing left in the tank, it says, Then Elijah laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat, have a sandwich, right? And I'm sorry, DoorDash, but God did it first. He beat you to the punch by thousands of years, right? And see, so Elijah looks up and he saw some fresh baked bread on hot stones in a jar of water, refreshing water, right? God brings the Krispy Kreme and all is good. And, and so he ate and he drank and he laid down again and he went back to sleep. And then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more because you've got a long journey ahead of you, right? God's got, he's going to fill him up. He's not going to give him a little bit. He's going to give him a lot. He's going to give him what he needs. And so Elijah got up and ate and drank again. And then his strength was revived because God had fed him. I love how practical God is that he comes and he sees his child hungry and hurting and wrecked. And he says, can I just feed you? Can I just give you a bed to lay? Let me give you somewhere soft to lay and just rest, my child, because you have had enough. And I get that. And God sees his people hurting. One of the major themes of Scripture, maybe the major theme of Scripture, is God seeing his people hurting and isolated and alone and coming to the rescue. That's the whole theme of Scripture. That's from the garden to right now is God seeing his people, his children, hurting and saying, can I feed you? Can I give you what you need? Because I love you and we are revived when we're fed by God. Maybe you need medical help. You know, maybe you need some, some counseling. Maybe you need, it's not a sin to be sick or depressed, right? That's not sinful. We feel guilty about it and Satan wants to isolate us when we're going through those things. Sometimes you just need help. Sometimes you need someone to talk to and, and open up. Sometimes you just need someone to, to sit by you and talk and hear what you have going on. And we need to be careful when we come to someone who's running on fumes, guns blazing, and say, buck up, let's do better. Right? We need to be careful with that because you can break people that way. And I'm not saying we can't challenge people, and I'm not saying we don't call people to be more because sometimes that's what we need, but we need to be wise in the way that we do that because you can break someone who's on the edge of their of what they've got left at the edge of their endurance when god says the response is let me feed you let me give you some rest i love how loving our father is and this isn't an excuse to isolate and do your own thing again this isn't an excuse to run away in the name of rest because it wasn't them elijah didn't restore himself god came and restored elijah you don't get the rest 
by isolating. God said rest on the Sabbath, but the point of the rest wasn't so we'd sit in a room alone and not have to work. The point of the Sabbath was to draw us closer to God. Because at the end of a hard week's work, you need real refreshment. You need real food. And Jesus said, God is real bread. God is real drink. And when you drink from that well, you will never thirst again. We've got to go to the real well. Not this stuff that we lean on. We eat cotton candy and then can't understand why we're so exhausted all the time. God says, drink living water. Drink from me. Draw close to me and you'll be refreshed. We need to rest our body. And sometimes God will make you do it. And when we're at the end of our rope. How else does God refill my emotional tank? God refills my emotional tank by encouraging me. God encourages me to release my frustrations. To release my frustrations. This is something we feel guilty doing sometimes. It is okay to vent sometimes. It's okay to have an ugly cry. It's okay to share hurts and insecurities with the people next to you. You know, I heard this saying, it says, revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. And I think there's something to that. There's something we've got to admit what we're going through in order to start that healing process. It says for Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 8 through 9. Next, Elijah traveled 40 days to get to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he comes to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Then Elijah said, and Elijah just unloads. Now, God knows what Elijah's doing there. Like, God doesn't, he didn't just wake up from a nap and be like, what are you doing here? Right? Like, God knows exactly what Elijah's going through. But you know what God wants to hear? He wants to hear what Elijah thinks he's been going through. He wants to hear Elijah's heart poured out to him. There is a whole category of Psalms that are just David screaming about what's going on and saying how he can't take it anymore. Right? That's in our Bible. God let that through. God demanded that that be a part of His Word. Because sometimes we've just got to let our frustrations out. He encourages us to release our frustrations. He doesn't just allow us. He literally asks for it. Remember last week we talked about in the garden when Adam and Eve were separated and shamed, ashamed of what they'd done. God comes to them and He says, Why are you hiding? God knows why they're hiding. But He wants to hear them say it. And, he, they, and they talk about how I was ashamed and I felt vulnerable. And God says, all right, let's talk. Let's figure this thing out. And so he lets us, he encourages us to vent our fear and our anger and our resentment and our loneliness and our low self-esteem and our worry. And he encourages us to say those things to, to him and to put that out on him. Now, it doesn't mean that every time we get with someone, we just dump everything on them over and over and over again. But there, there is a place and a time for brothers and sisters to come together and say, can you just, you're obviously weighed down. You know, I'm seeing you're ugly, right? I'm seeing some of the stuff that, that you look like when you're operating out of your weakness. And just let me have it. Just let's, let's have it all out. It's okay. I encourage you to do that. And just have it out. He put it in the Bible for a reason. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. That's why he wants us to cast our cares on him because he cares about us. That's why we have small groups at this church. That's why we built our church around small groups. 
the, the backbone, the spine of this church is our cell groups that meet every week and we get together and we can have real talk and we can spend enough time together to where I know what your rough times look like and I know what you look like when you're isolating and you're running away and you're, you know, you're, you're fearful. And I can, I can be by your side and I encourage you, if you're not a part of one of those cell groups, then, then talk to one of us and let us share that with you because it's a love and a community that's, that we need. We've got to have it so that we can release our frustrations. And the third thing that God tell, does to refill my emotional tank is God tells me to remember and refocus on Him. To remember Him and refocus on Him. We need perspective when we're going through a storm. We have got to see how big our God is because that will put the storm into perspective. When all we see is the storm, it looks unbearable. It does. It, it, you may be right. By yourself, it may be more than you can bear. But when we see God next to it, then He dwarfs it. And we realize that there is more to the story. We've got to get our eyes off of our problems and onto Jesus. The Lord says to Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 11-13, He lets him vent, lets him get it all out. And then He says, Why don't you go and stand in front of me in, the, in, in front of the mountain, and I'll pass by you. Right? I'm just going to let you catch a glimpse. And so after Elijah goes and he posts up by the mountain, it says, Then a very strong wind blew past, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then it says, After that there was an earthquake. The whole earth shook, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, there was a wildfire. And this, this giant fire comes sweeping by Elijah, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. But then there was a quiet gentle sound like a whisper and when elijah heard it he covered his face with his coat and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and the voice said elijah why are you still here god wanted him to see his power he wanted him to see the furious power that he had because i need to know that that's on my side to get through the storm but then after showing him his incredible awesome terrifying power he comes to elijah in a whisper and he says what let's let's talk about what's next let's talk about a game plan let's see what we're going to do moving forward but he had to see elijah needed to remember who god was and to refocus on him because if you're more afraid of jezebel than you are of god then you need to be reminded who god is if i'm more afraid of losing my job than i am of God, then I need to remember who God is. If I'm more afraid of losing a relationship, if I'm more afraid of, of a virus, whatever it is, if that's got me more afraid than God does, I need to remember who my God is. I need to refocus on Him. Elijah is convinced that he's got to control everything to be safe, and he's forgotten who's really in control. And that's what we've got to remember. You know, there was another prophet, a lot like Elijah, who was discouraged because he wasn't seeing results from all his work. His name was Jeremiah, and he was so discouraged by it that he wrote two books, one named after him, and one called Lamentations, which is basically like complaints. <clears throat> and so this is the guy who literally wrote the book of complaints, and, and he is discouraged at times um, as he goes through. And, and honestly, if you read his story, I get it. Um, but what's wild is that we see the turn in Jeremiah as well, and it looks just like with Elijah. It looks the same because the same God is providing the same comfort. 
And he says in, in Lamentations, the book of complaints, 319 through 24, he says, Just thinking of my troubles and my wandering fills me with sadness and bitterness. That's all I ever think about, and I'm depressed. Right? So he's there. He is in the storm, and he's emotionally spent. He says, but then I remember. But then I remember something that fills my heart with hope. And I hope that you guys will take the time. This verse is in your notes. And I would encourage you to take an index card or some kind of piece of paper and stick this thing where you will see it every day. Because this is worth seeing. Because in those moments where all I see is my storm and I'm depressed, this is the butt that I need. This is the turn that I need. He says, but then I remember something that fills me with hope. I remember the Lord's steadfast love never ends. I remember His unfailing mercy keeps me from being wiped out. I remember that because of His great faithfulness, each new day He is always kind to me. He is always kind to me. That means He's kind in the storm. That means He's kind when it's good. God is always there. He is so faithful. And it's so deep in my heart. Jeremiah says, I feel it so deep in my heart that I say to myself, the Lord is all I need. He is the real hope. He's all I need. If I just have God, that's enough. And that's really what Elijah should have said, right? From a logical standpoint, when you're looking, when you take the emotion out of it, I mean, it was him against hundreds of enemies, and it was literally just him and God, and that was all he needed, and he won. It just, he just proved it. God just proved that's all you need. But again, when we're empty, we lose it, and we've got to remember. We've got to remember. You know, a lot of us turn to, to sugar when we're depressed. A lot of us turn to, to chocolate and treats and all these things. Um, and I was, I was listening to a preacher, and he took this verse, and he made an acronym of it, and he said, you know, we can rely on a half gallon of ice cream if we want, and that'll get you so far. Um, but God provides what we really need. And, and it's wild because sugar is spelled out in here. The, you have it in your notes. The steadfast love, the unfailing mercy, the great faithfulness, that he's always kind and that there's real hope. God is the real comfort food, right? He's the one who provides the real comfort. It's not Rocky Road. It's not Midnight Chocolate, right? It's God. He's the only one who's going to provide the comfort that we need. I don't want you to miss this last part because everything we've said to this point is so true and it's so powerful. But after going through these healing steps with Elijah, God takes another step. And I think it's the step that's left off most often. So hear me when I say this. There is another step after going through this healing process. Because after going through the healing part, God lays out a game plan for Elijah to go on from here. Don't miss this because so often we leave this part out and then we get stuck in some really unhealthy patterns and we take things that God meant for good and they turn bad. And so God gives Elijah right on the heels of building him back up. He gives him immediately a new assignment because God wasn't through with Elijah and he's not through with you. Do you hear me? He is not through with you. And when you're broken and he patches you back up, it's not time to limp along. You have been filled with the power of God. It's time to move. It's time to get some stuff done. And God is ready. He is not through with you. And so he tells Elijah, raise up the next group of leaders. 
raise up some young men. Go to these guys named Hazael and Jehu and Elisha, and when you get there, anoint them. Bring them up and, and show them how to serve the Lord. I am not done with you. We must hear that, and we must say that to the people that we're walking alongside. Because so often we go through the healing process, and then we feel like we've just got to be in this emotional hospice where it's just pain management for the rest of my life. And that is not what we were given. God says, I did not give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. There must be this next step where we go out and get the job done, where we find purpose. You are hearing this message for a reason. Because God puts us in times and in places and with people that we need to hear so that we will draw closer to Him. That's the point of all that work, all the logistics that God gets done. He does it so that you'll draw closer to Him. Because that's always been priority number one. It is critical that we get our rest. That's why God makes us have it. It is critical that we share our feelings. That's why He invites us to do it. And it is critical that after doing that, we refocus and remember Him. But if that's all we do, then we get really self-centered. We get focused on ourselves. And that was never the point. That was never what God designed us to be. And so that's why He gives us this off-ramp. right? This, as we go through this healing cycle, there's an, it was, you're not meant to be trapped in that forever. There's an off-ramp that provides an avenue for growth and for progress to be made. You can't make, healing is not a time for progress. Healing is a time for recovery to get back to where you were. But then after that, there's supposed to be growth. There's supposed to be more than that. Because if you, if you bind someone's wounds and the wounds get better and then you strap them to the hospital bed for the next three years, they start getting worse. There's not progress. That's not real healing. No, you send them to rehab. You send them to physical therapy. God says, I've got a job for you, and I am not done with you. I've got purpose for you. I've got something for you to do that's going to be important and meaningful and echo into eternity. And that's good news. That's not something to run from. That's not something to hide from. It's not something to push away. That's something to embrace. Because that's how we grow. That's how we get strong. And this church is a place where you will be used, where we will say, I have been broken down and stripped down to nothing and, and God showed me purpose in spite of that and because of that. Come along. Come with me. Let's go. Let's connect. Let's do this together. We're a church that works because God has showed us that. It's not because we're so smart and we figured it out. We serve a God who designed us and knit us together in the womb. And he knows us better than anyone. And if God says I need to get to work, then I'm going to get to work. Amen? Amen. Amen. I've been burnt out. I have spent months and years feeling like nothing I did mattered, feeling like no one understood me, feeling like I was alone and I was under attack. I get it. I've felt it. I've lived it. But I've also been given living water. And I've also been given a shoulder to cry on. And I've also been given a reminder of who my God is and the power that He has. And I've also been given a purpose. And if you will come near to God, he will provide real healing. He will fill you up no matter how empty you've been. He will fill you up to overflowing. He will fill you up until you cannot help but spill out on the people around you with power and joy and light and love. All the things that God is will overflow in you. 
If you are in your storm, it may be because of the virus, it may have nothing to do with that. If you are in your storm, God is here with open arms. And we're here with open arms because he was here for us. So reach out to us. We're all here. Click on one of us on Facebook. Reach out. Get to know us. Let us get to know you so that we can learn you're ugly and we can build you up and we can introduce you to a God of power and love who's ready to come and give you real life and fill you up through the storm. Pray with me, church. Our Father in heaven, great and holy and awesome is your name. You are the perfect Father. And when you say that we need something, God, I believe that we need it. And so, Lord, I pray in the moments where I feel empty. I pray in the moments where each one of us feels like all we can do is grab as much control as we can and hunker down and and isolate ourselves and try to make what we can for ourselves. Lord, that we see the lie of that. That we see that someone sold us this false idol and now we are sacrificing ourselves to it. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us your love and your truth. You would remind us how good you are. Or maybe introduce us to that for the first time. Lord, I pray that each one of us would come to you, that we would lay ourselves bare, that we would open up what we're going through, allow you to hear us, allow you to bind, us our, bind up our wounds, and send us off to what you have prepared for us. Thank you so much for your love and the way that you carry us through the storm and the way you're going to carry us through this one. In Jesus' name, amen.